My dad's dream was actually to have me be a crane operator. So I grew up working in the business, riding in the cranes with my brothers and setting them up, rigging, standing on roofs and giving them the cues for the crane on, you know, where they had picks that they couldn't see. So I very much grew up in that business um, and around my brothers and in a very male dominated field. In a corporate world, where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work. The employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Dijon, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Franny Goolsby. Franny is the Senior Vice President of Sales at Salelytics, where she works with prospects and clients to implement strategic business plans beyond traditional feet-on-the-street sales models. Prior to working 13 years at Salelytics, Franny held jobs as a soccer coach in athletic marketing and even as a crane operator assistant in her family's business. You can learn more about Franny at Salitics.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Franny. Franny, uh, I would like to welcome you today to the corporate couch. Great, thanks. It's, it's good to be here, Jeff. It's good to catch up with you. We go back a long way, so this is exciting too. Oh, yes, we do, Franny. <laughs> So Franny and I met, so uh, she was a director of sales at West Corporation uh, and sends a just a cold outreach email to uh, my boss uh, at Beringer Ingelheim Animal Health. And he was famous for just, uh, like he wanted to respond to anybody that reached out to him, even people he didn't know, which didn't know Franny. And if it pertained to what I was doing, uh, which I had, you know, thrown around an inside sales strategy, and that's what uh, West Corp, uh, part of West Corp, did. That where Franny uh, was the head of uh, director of sales. So yeah, I get the I get the uh, email from Colin uh, Meyer, and we have a meeting, and we build a business relationship. So uh, there you go, salespeople out there in the world. See, cold outreach still works, and we, uh, it turned into a great relationship, and. Uh, we started with about seven reps uh, representing us uh, with West Corp and now Salelytics. And um, yeah, I think we built it to about 28 reps uh, over time. And You're absolutely right. And, and Jeff, one of those things, you are a great business partner to us and you treated our team like your own team, which really boded well for the success of that partnership. But one of the comments that you just made was cold outreach does work. And that was 15 years ago, almost 15 years ago, mm. that... You know, I had reached out to your team and he responded. And now being in the sales world, a lot of people challenge the idea that cold outreach works and they believe it should be all AI and digital and like mass outreach. But 
that process still works today. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but I yeah. feel very passionate about sales and outreaching and, and still being able to reach key decision makers, like, like a call in at the time. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was great. Um, no, I, I enjoyed working with the team and always like going to, um, Middleton yes. and eating at the, the Tanners, which is a sports bar uh, founded in Kansas City, but there's one in Middleton, and uh, getting a lot of uh, spotted cow beer because uh, you can only get it in Wisconsin. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. But yeah, it was always mm -hmm. great to work with the team uh, at West and uh, Salalytics. Uh, so I like to start with a fun question. Sure. What um, even for people that know you fairly well, uh, and you're very. Uh, candid and transparent on LinkedIn, what one thing about you would surprise them? Oh, geez, that would surprise them. I'm pretty an open book. But what might surprise people today is maybe how hot headed or maybe a temper I can get sometimes because I, I try to come across as very calm and, you know, consistent with routine, but it's taken a lot of time to work on that and not be very brash and what I say and how I respond. And I think that goes to a lot of, again, the work that I put into kind of being more stoic about it. And so somebody I meet now might not see that side of me where it was more transparent, maybe in my soccer playing days or, you know, my com more competitive type days where it came out a little bit more aggressively, maybe. Oh, wow. Here we go. <laughs> uh, so have you, you, you ever physically assaulted a coworker? No, Okay. Just, never a coworker, maybe, maybe uh, a soccer opponent. And just for the audience, since this is audio only, um, and you are sitting down, how, how tall are you, Franny? So I'm five, nine and a half. I'll take that extra half of an inch, but in heels, I'm six foot, maybe more. Yes. Franny is very tall and, uh, yeah. But and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about our soccer days. Uh, what what was fun for you growing up? You grew up uh, outside of Omaha. No, born and raised in Omaha, and I am one of nine children. Wow. So that's where the fun came in. Uh, I have five brothers and three sisters. I'm the seventh. Um, lucky seven. Uh, lucky seven. Lucky seven is my number. My number growing up, and, and still my number today. Oh, nice. Always my number in college. And so, and that's really where, where the fun came. And my parents had a business that they started and grew. So it was a home business. They had, um, it's a local crane business called Lift All Crane Service. So all five of my brothers were crane operators for my dad. And my dad's like ongoing joke was, you know, when people asked him where he got good crane operators from, he always made the joke that he bred them. Um, so... <laughs> That business has now, since the passing of my dad, turned over to my brothers and my sister. So it's been a successful transition to the second generation, which has just been great. And my dad's dream was actually to have me be a crane operator. So I grew up working in the business, riding in the cranes with my brothers and setting them up, rigging, standing on roofs and giving them the cues for the crane on, you know, where they had picks that they couldn't see. So I very much grew up in that business um, and around my brothers and in a very male dominated field. Well, now you took away one of my questions because uh, I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you were a crane operator assistant. And I'm like, mm -hmm. 
I got to ask about that. And you just answered the uh, why. <laughs> so it was a, a family business because uh, most mm -hmm. people don't have that job on their LinkedIn profile. Um, yeah. And, and my dad really, he, he loved it. Again, when I, I rode on the cranes with my brothers and I assisted in the jobs being, you know, a female in that industry, it really got a lot of head turns. And so he was hopeful I would take that route, but um, I didn't. And I, I let my sister and my brothers take that on. Well, that uh, being a male dominated industry uh, probably uh, helped you uh, in the corporate world, you know, deal with the, uh, a lot of different people, uh, especially, you know, executives as you were coming up were ma mainly ma male. So spot on because my first, I'd say my first corporate position was with what you alluded to West corporation back in the day, I was 27 years old and the role I had was in sales. And this at the time West really focused on telecommunications and technology services and it was a very uh, business professional attire, all male industry. And so we would, I remember, you know, every Friday we would have team meetings in a very formal boardroom, long board table, and it was just circled with men. Uh, there was one female along in, in that cast and it was Rhonda Gibbler. And I always looked up to her. She's still a mentor to me today. But like you alluded to, as a very male dominated industry. Yeah. So I, I believe it certainly did help kind of coming from another field that was more male dominated. Yeah. I'm uh, very sorry about your dad's passing. What, what was the biggest lesson you learned from him, Franny? Every, hard work, hard work and consistency, no doubt. Um, he was the hardest worker. I, I knew he grew up on a farm. So traditional farm raised hard worker. And he was also just very passionate about his business and with Liptal Crane, although it was very service oriented, it was all about safety as well. And one thing my dad did was he always had uh, the phone on his bedside uh, nightstand so that he could be reached 24 seven. And I know that goes against the grain of what people say about like the work and life balance, but my dad was always there for his customers at any time of the day. And I really strive to attain that same work ethic. And when I was, and not to get too long-winded about this answer, but when I was in healthcare sales and it was kind of like a pharma model where I was calling on physician offices, it's very easy in that industry to not put in the work. You are really left on your own. It's an entrepreneurial role. You can be left on your own to do what you want with your day. And all I could think about was my dad. And there is no way my dad would not work 100% of the day. So I just made sure every day I went to work, I was there early and I stayed late because that's what my dad would have done. Wow. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on, but I want growing up in Omaha, what was fun for you? What, what did you love doing as a child? So again, going back to being one of nine kids, we didn't have many opportunities where we could go out and do stuff and be part of groups, organizations, events. It really was spent with our family. And that's one thing I remember, you know, I always asked my mom, like, could I be like, I wanted to do ballet and I wanted to do, and do dance and do, join a soccer team like my brothers, but she just didn't have the bandwidth to do it until I was in seventh grade and actually started playing soccer when I was in seventh grade because the neighbor was the soccer coach. So I could walk to practice and she didn't have to take me, but my days really were filled with playing with my brothers out in the backyard, soccer growing up. And those are 
best memories I have is just playing out in the backyard with my siblings. Now, did you kick your brother's ass in <laughs> soccer or asses, I should say? No. I, I wish I could say yes, but no, they were very good players themselves. I had two brothers that played at Creighton University, which is where kind of my dream came from is I grew up watching them play. I wanted to follow in their footsteps. I wanted to go to Creighton and play soccer. Speaking of dreams, when you were a child, what was your dream? Like when I, when I'm a grown up, I'm going to be this. What was this for you, Franny? My dream was to be a cop. I went from as, as young as I can remember, I wanted to be a cop. And we would always play cops and robbers with the neighbors and my brothers and sisters. And I always wanted to be the cop. I never wanted to be the robber. And now it's funny because I look back on that and I'm, I, I don't know what spurred me to want to be a cop. But now that I'm more so um, knowledgeable of the Enneagram and what it means and our core motivations, and I am an Enneagram one, which means I want to be good at heart. Like I want to do good. I think back, well, that's probably where that stems from is I, I want to be good. I want to do good and I want to help others. But yeah, it was always, I wanted to be a cop. And then that evolved to, I wanted to be in the FBI when I got older. Interesting. So um, I, I've done all the assessments possible. I know there's millions of them. So Myers-Briggs, 16 personalities, Colby index, strength yes. finders, uh, Beringer had one that was a, I don't know, it was a 16 page report and it was pretty spot on, but it was, I think it was based in uh, Germany or somewhere in Europe. Um, but I have never done Enneagram. So just to, for those out there that don't know about it, what is the Enneagram? Yeah, I highly encourage uh, if you have not heard of the Enneagram and there's free assessments online that you can take to take it. The, the one thing that differentiates the Enneagram, it explains what your core motivation is to why you are the way you are. Whereas the other personality tests tell you what personality you have. And so being competitive, you know, could be a personality trait, but with the Enneagram, it's why you are that way. And so when you look at me on the outside, I come across as an Enneagram three because I am very competitive. But the reason an Enneagram three is competitive versus why an Enneagram one is competitive have very different core motivations. And it's almost like a light bulb goes off where you're able to sit back and be like, this makes sense now. And it's completely eye-opening. And again, so Enneagram one is labeled as the improver. And so when I look at my work life and my personal life and start to make the association of why I do things a certain way, it, it just makes sense. And it also helps me be more kind and gracious to myself when I feel like I might be um, too hard on myself or do things in a certain way. I give myself more grace because ultimately I, I know what my core motivation is. It, it's just, it's really interesting once you start digging into it. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, yeah. Well, I think we're going to touch on that again later, but so, mm -hmm. so you go to Creighton, um, the yes. Blue Jays, um, and play soccer. I mean, not play soccer, excel. Mm -hmm. Uh, did you get an athletics scholarship to Creighton? I did. Yes. And so it, it was always my number one place of choice to go for college. And then obviously getting a scholarship on top of that was very helpful. Um, and so then when it came time to choose a field of study, 
again, I wanted to be a cop, you know, navigate into want to be in the FBI. They didn't have a criminal justice program there. So I thought the the closest thing was psychology. So I, I chose the psychology degree at Creighton, but yes, played on the soccer team, a starter all four years while I attended there, received all conference honors all four years. And I think of the accolades that I've accumulated uh, while I played there was my, my biggest uh, one I feel most accomplished with is when I was voted by my teammates as the hardest worker. And, you know, I treated every practice like it was a game. And sometimes that, you know, I, I got pushed back from my teammates because they thought I should cool it sometimes during practice, but I really did. I treated every practice as if it were, was a game. I, I just can't shut it off when I get out there on the field. So I think, you know, a, a blessing and a curse sometimes, but um, definitely helped my career. Yeah, I love this. Uh, so you... They didn't have criminal justice, but, and so was there any other reason to pick psychology in terms of that? Cause it's a very interesting degree and obviously mm -hmm. a lot of sales is psychology, most of it actually. Um, but yeah, was there any reason you picked, and was that your original major from freshman year to senior? Cause a lot of people I interview, uh, which is over 60 now have, you know, multiple majors, I... what they start with and what they end with is a lot different. I know I, I I feel so lucky that I did choose something that ultimately I was able to stick with so that, you know, I could get through college quickly and didn't have to incur any additional fees. And I think now today, I, I don't know how people are choosing a career or a degree. I feel like I, I really did get lucky because there wasn't anything that aligned with, again, with criminal justice. I thought psychology was the closest thing. So I went with it. And like you mentioned, it has been helpful in, in a sales career. So I really benefited from that. But sometimes I think that people, I, I, I'm, I'm not a believer that college needs to happen right after high school. I think there's sometimes you need to stop and pause and find yourself and what truly inspires you. Um, in other cases, people already know. But again, I feel like lucky that I, I chose the right one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, be, being voted the hardest worker, so you approach obviously practice um, with a, a, a lot of focus, more focus than uh, some of your teammates, obviously. But what, what was what was other things you did outside of practice and outside what was required? You know, mandatory training sessions. What kind of what was your mindset back then? Yeah, I, when I was growing up, so seventh grade and on. I did a lot of things outside of practice, like during the summers. So this was eighth grade through high school. Every summer I would wake up at five o'clock and I would go running. And so for a high schooler at that time to wake up during taking their summer vacation and breaks to wake up at 5 a.m. May, may not be common, but it was just something I felt passionately about improving myself and my endurance for my play and being su successful on the team. So I did a lot of things outside of just practicing to ensure that it could translate into a, a good soccer career. The other the other thing too is having fun while you do it. I genuinely just loved playing. And that's one thing I, I want to ensure my kids as they grow up through athletics, just genuinely love playing because I feel that is a big part of success in sports. You have to enjoy it. And so for me, I, I was always playing, like I mentioned, with my brothers out in the backyard, even through high school and on, and, and even post my Creighton career. And so you have to love it. Also put in the time 
to, to really refine that skill. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so you graduate with a BA in psychology and mm -hmm. what was your first job for any out of college and how'd you get it? Yeah, my first job out of college was I was an assistant athletic director for the JCC, which is the Jewish Jewish Community Center. I was really left in one of those places where what now? All my friends have graduated. They moved off back to their home cities. And all my friends had either moved back home and, and pursued their careers or additional professional education. A lot of them are lawyers, dentists, doctors. And here I am thinking like, what now? What am I going to do? So um, the athletic director at the time at Creighton had sent me that opening at the JCC as the assistant athletic director and thought I would be a good fit for it. So I applied and, and got the position. And I, I learned a lot during that time about leadership, about organization, about the back end of sports. And um, from there, I really developed the kind of goal of being in sales just because I seen some other friends do that. And so my ultimate goal was to get into healthcare sales. So from JCC, then what was your job after that? After JCC, as anyone knows, who's trying to get into healthcare sales. It's tough to get into healthcare sales without healthcare sales background. One thing that helped me was I was a college athlete and that is one thing that they look for um, on the resume. So that certainly did help me. So from there, I got a job with Apria Healthcare, which was just a great experience, giving me the firsthand knowledge of what it's like calling into hospitals and physician offices and just trying to get my share of voice and being consistently front of mind within those facilities. And again, just ensuring that I capitalized on each day to get me to my monthly goals. Yeah, so you go into the a sales, uh, you know, career beginning of a sales career. Did you have mentors, uh, whether that be actual people that helped you in your sales mentality or books you read that helped you? What? Both. One is mentors for sure, but those came at Apria, and I have to thank you know Scott Van Hoos. He is the the gentleman that hired me. I think he saw a lot of potential potential in me. And I remember one of the interview questions, I just bombed. He was like, how would you, and this was before there was any CRM or, you know, pre-call planning to say, this is who you're going to see and why. It was like, I had to formulate my own day. Here's a book of all the physicians in Omaha and Iowa and like, go call on them. So one of his questions was like, well, how would you formulate your day and who would you call on and why? And I, I had no idea. And so I, I was transparent and I was like, to be honest, I don't know how. And so it really was Scott Van Hoos who took a chance on me. He hired me and guided me on really how to be successful in that industry. But then for me, taking advantage of other players within the office. So for Apria Healthcare, it is a service-based organization. And so one of the lead office managers, Johanna, who was taking calls from physician offices would guide me saying like, this is what's important to them. This is what the questions that you should ask them. How do they like to refer their patients? And so it was really taking advantage of all the other individuals within that office who have been there a very long time on how to be successful. Yeah. So you have a, 
uh, you know, almost three year run there at Aprilia Healthcare. So what, uh, what made you decide to go to uh, West Corp? So I actually had a recruiter reach out to me and I, I wasn't really thinking about leaving. I knew I, I needed to make a next step in my career. I just didn't want to do that, you know, that same job for the rest of my life. And so when they reached out, it was more of an executive role. And so I interviewed with the company West Corporation, which was local in Omaha. It was a large organization. It was $2.3 billion at the time. And I met with the leaders there, Doug DeBolt, Phil Crone, and really just admired their sales approach and how they thought about sales. And I knew it was going to be a good next step in my career, although it wasn't healthcare specific. So I did spend a lot of time contemplating whether this was the right move for me or not. And ultimately, I'm glad I made the leap. Sure. Yeah, actually, I remember, Phil, you and Phil came yes. after that cold email that came up to St. Joe, Missouri, where yes. Berger was headquartered at the time. So I, I do remember that meeting with the four of us uh, in Colin's office. So that was uh, fun. So at that point in your career, uh, Freddie, did you think like sales is, I like it. I, I love the process I'm learning. Is this, you know, at that point was like, sales will be my career? Yeah, you know, I, I learned a lot along the way. And I was also doing a lot of self-reflection because as I alluded to, my friends at this time from college were becoming dentists, doctors, lawyers, very like professional careers. And here I just viewed myself as like, I'm in sales, like I'm just a salesperson and didn't give myself enough, uh, enough credit of what I could be or do, which I realized is very much not the case. But yeah, there was a lot of self-reflection around along the way. And one thing I realized is I did really enjoy it. And I will say I was also lucky in working with West Corporation and Sealytics at the time, because what we sell, I just gravitated to so strongly and felt very passionately about the service that we provided our clients. So that helped me become very passionate about sales because I was very passionate about the service that we provided our clients. Yeah, and it's so interesting too how you know things intertwine. You know, the, I believe there's no coincidences, but you know, it's like I started my career in telecom, and you know, West started with the husband wife yeah Gary uh, Mary West yeah the yeah the West yeah uh, started in at AT&T where I started my career doing outbound or telemarketing telesales for AT&T I believe that's how West I believe started if I remember the story correctly so just very interesting um yeah I'd love to talk about your approach I mean because I mean like you said, you're very transparent on LinkedIn. I mean, so you're, I mean, you know, I love what you're doing in terms of you're, you're out there, but before we get kind of touch on that, I mean, people have various degrees of uh, thoughts on LinkedIn, you know, is it should be all business, you know, uh, should it be a, a combination? I think mostly everybody believes there shouldn't be any politics like, agree yeah. but <laughs> um, i mean but when you you know your posts are very transparent and i love how you just i mean you have four girls at various different ages and you know you're coaching them and i, I think you 
when school starts, you do dunk or when school the school year you yeah. do Dunkin' Donut Friday with your girls. I, I love all that. But what are your thoughts on using LinkedIn in the way you use it? Yeah, I do feel like it is a professional workplace platform, but there are things that you can take because again, the whole work-life balance model. And there are things that from a work perspective you can pull into your personal life and things from your personal life you can pull into your work life. And it is truly a a balance. And I think, you know, being in my position and role, what I can share with my LinkedIn community is how you can do both. And hopefully that they can see that, you know, you can be a working mother, you know, of young children and, and still do good things for your company, but also have time for your family as well. So I, I just think it's all a balance. No, oh, yeah, hundred percent. I and I think the pandemic, COVID, uh, accelerated that because you know the lines were totally blurred when everybody started, you know, had to work from home, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody, you know, the yes. companies that had no um, thought leadership were like, oh my god, people are working at home, we're going to lose productivity. We got to monitor these people. We're, mm-hmm. you know, study after study was shown that. Productivity actually went up during the pandemic when people were working exactly. because yeah. they felt more relaxed. They could do when they could work whenever they wanted, which, yeah, funny how that works, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, I'm sure for uh, being a parent of uh, young children like yourself, that had to be very uh, hard when you know both you're working from home and they're going to school from home. So that that had to be a challenge. How did you handle that? It was, it was tough. You know, I had to take their toy room and transition it into an office that, you know, actually had doors on it. And, and they were much younger at the time too. It was tough. I mean, just to be honest, but I mean, we, we managed and I, I feel like there are some wins, some positive things that came in from post COVID, but there are some things that I, I wish that were still in place from pre-COVID days, but I think we all kind of grow and, and change and evolve to what needs to be done. Right, yeah. So the main thing that is kind of challenging post-COVID is everything is a video conference now, where pre-COVID it was conference calls, like you dial into the, the conference bridge right. and it was right. a conference call. And so I would take advantage of my lunch hour to work out pre-COVID and then Post-COVID, everything's video, and so doing a sweaty workout over my lunch period doesn't really bode well when you got to hop on a video conference, you know, shortly thereafter. So I've I've had to shift that routine of mine for sure. Yeah, I remember actually uh, one of the awkward moments of uh, COVID for me, uh, I was at United Way of Greater Kansas City, and one of our business partners got on a call and literally was right out of a workout. I mean, still sweating, <laughs> tank top. Uh, yeah, it was interesting to say the yeah, least. And that's one thing I will say that I'm a firm believer in just as a little, like the way I approach my sales process is I will always be business dressed. And some people will say, oh, you can dress to your audience. If they come to the conference calls right. wearing a baseball cap, you can. My approach to it is no, you can't. Like we're, we're sales professionals that still should be business stress. And I still adhere to that, even in all these video conferences that we have to take. 
I'm with you. I've never wore a baseball cap during any calls uh, since COVID began. So that's my <laughs> claim to fame. I might have my pajama bottoms on, but I had a nice, <laughs> nice top. So that's uh, full disclosure. So, you know, I, I love how you we've talked about, you know, your LinkedIn posts, but you've done so many great things like that to, to require willpower and discipline. You know, you've done hard 75 twice. We talked about the last time we got together, you did a seven seventy point three mile Ironman. Yes. Badass. And when you told me you couldn't, you, you really sucked at swimming yeah. <laughs> and you, or couldn't swim at all. And you did all. 70 point. Yeah. Couldn't swim at all. And did a seven. So where did you get that? I know, I know you got a lot of the hard work and work ethic and consistency from your dad, but I mean, like mm -hmm. you've taken it to another level. So tell the audience about that. Well, thank you for that feedback. And one thing is when I'm doing it and once I've completed it, I don't realize the accomplishment and I don't think I give myself enough credit until time has passed. And then I look back at it and like, well, yeah, that was hard. Um, but when I'm in it, I, I, I don't give my, again, give myself enough credit, but for me, I always kind of get these random urges to do something you know, whether it be a marathon or 75 hard, once I get something in my mind, it's really hard to get it out. And I think that's the main thing. And I'm very like process oriented and routine oriented. And if I don't follow that routine, it creates a little bit of anxiety for me. But I will say for anyone and all your listeners that have not done 75 hard, I highly encourage it. It is such a good program to gain such mental and emotional gains through that program. And again, when you look at it and you're like, oh, I can't do two workouts a day. Well, the workouts can be anything you want. They can be a walk as an example. It's just finding the time and committing to do it. And you gain so much benefit following it. And like from a routine perspective that you can take in your everyday life. The half Iron Man is a whole different story, though. That that was a little. I look back at that. That was a little crazy. All right, we'll we'll go back to the Iron Man, but let, explain to the audience because I I know what hard seventy five is. I've not done mm -hmm. it, uh, but um, because you're right, it's. I love your approach because everything is really consistency and habit. I mean, mm -hmm. Jocko uh, Willenick, uh, extreme discipline, uh, ex Navy SEAL. Uh, you know, you know, he says discipline is freedom. Absolutely. And, but explain to you what heart 75 is. Right. So there's, and it's by Andy Frisella. He um, originated the program and it's the idea of there's certain tasks that you have to complete every day for 75 days. So you have to drink a gallon of water. You have to take a progress photo. You have to read 10 pages of a self-help book. You have to work out twice a day. One has to be outdoors um, and they have to be 45 minutes in length. Um, no alcohol and you have to follow a diet of your choice. So there's all these tasks that you have to do. No ifs, ands, or buts. If you fail one of those tasks, you have to start from the beginning. So I did this in 2022, starting January 1st, and I did it again January 1st of 2023. And I was successful in completing them both times. And you really find out quickly, like, I have to be really systematic with my day and plan it out. Otherwise, I'm not going to get all of these completed. 
So it's really the theory of you run the day or the day runs you. And there were certain times where I had a full travel day. I traveled into LA, I landed, had to go to back-to-back -back business meetings, get to my hotel and finding a time to complete two different workouts. So when I'm leaving, you know, I have to be business rest, dressed and, you know, an early flight. How do you make that work? Well, it's planning your day and just plugging it in and executing it. So I can't tell you how many times I did a workout in the airport and people probably looked at me like I was crazy, but I found like an aisle where there wasn't a lot of people and I was doing like push-ups and sit-ups or just walking from one end of the airport to the other end of the airport. Wow. And again, you just have to look at your day, plan it and execute it. So you literally did a 45 minute push up and sit up. Workout. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I would go from one end of a terminal and I would do a series of air squats, sit ups and push ups. And then I would walk to the end, other end of the terminal and I would do the same thing. Push ups, sit ups, air squats, walk back for 45 minutes. And I, I definitely got some head turns. I'm that wasn't the only time I did that. Were you in heels when doing this or? No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would have been really impressive. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Wow. Did you ever cut? Was it ever cl close that you know you were you almost missed it or you know you did a workout at you know eleven o'clock at night? <laughs> Jeff, I kid you not. I missed a flight one time because I was doing it, and so luckily it was Minneapolis Omaha. There was another flight. You know, my flight was at three. They have you know one at five every day. They were very kind. They put me on, but my my original flight was delayed. So I was like, okay, I have time to get it in now. So I started it and for some reason I didn't get the alert that they were boarding sooner than what they originally anticipated. I missed it. And so I just got on a later flight wow. and you, you just make it work. You go with it. At Heart 75, it's really not about the physical. It's, it's really a mental, you know, how you build habits and, you know, build that muscle so you can do have a routine. And, but what was the kind of the physical aspect for you, like the benefits, like on day 76 versus day one, what was kind of the difference for you health-wise physically? Yeah, physically, and again, like you're absolutely right. This was, this isn't the intention of the program, but I lost 17 pounds. Huh. So from a weight perspective, I, I did shed some pounds. That wasn't the point of it, but I did. The other benefit was I saw, which I never realized before, was the benefit of walking. Like before I did CrossFit and I felt like my workouts had to be very like vigorous and hit type workouts. I quickly found out how valuable walking really is to like your physical and mental being. It was just mind blowing. And that's something I still incorporate today from that program is I wake up at 4.45 every morning and I'm walking by five. That's part of my routine. I just absolutely can't do without. Wow. How did your family support you during your uh, two, uh, <laughs> 275, 150 <laughs> day stints, I guess? <laughs> yeah, they're so supportive. And, and my husband, especially, he knows I get these like ideas in my head and he just goes along with it. But, you know, I think about my daughter, it was her 10th birthday at the time. And she had her friends over at a hotel. We had, you know, had a hotel party and they were swimming. Well, I needed to get my workout in. So I brought my hand weights and I let them swim. And I was in the swimming, you know, near the swimming pool doing my workout. And my my daughter's just is like, she just goes with it. She's like, oh, my mom's just doing her 75 hard. That's funny. That's funny. So yeah, they're great. 
most people that do kind of a triathlon start with a, you know, a, you know, a quarter mile, half mile swim, you know, a 5k, maybe a 10k and a 20 mile bike ride. But you, you know, that uh, do a 70.3, <laughs> you know, that's a half Ironman, right? I think. I yes, believe. Yeah. So uh, tell us about the three uh, how far was the swim, bike, the run for that? And what, why did you do it? And what was your approach to training? And if it, it was similar to the Heart 75 or, you know, how was yeah. it different? Yeah, I had no knowledge about anything triathlon related. I have a colleague that is really into them, Rachel Hernandez, and she's been a great mentor to me during the process too. But we were actually traveling together last January of 2023 and she had signed up for one, the Oregon one in this past July, and she was just talking about it. And I was like, well, maybe that's something I do is, you know, a half iron man. And she kind of looks at me and she goes, well, if you haven't done a triathlon, like you shouldn't do a half iron man. And I think that's what kind of hit me was her saying, you shouldn't do this. And we laugh about it today. She goes, if you ever want Franny to do something, just tell her she can't do it. So that's, we joke about how it started and we were at this meeting together and she went to use the restroom while we were waiting to, to, for the meeting to start. When she got back, I was like, I signed up for the half Ironman in Des Moines in June. And she was like, what? So I didn't really know anything about triathlon or half Ironmans, even the distance. So the distance is a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike and a half marathon run. And so I, you know, as I'm traveling back home from that meeting, I'm like, I, I need to get a bike. So I tell my husband, and I've never rode a bike outside of like, you know, when I was younger, like a Huffy. So I send him a bike that is on Amazon for 200 bucks. And he's like, what are you thinking? I was like, what? He's like, you need like a professional bike. And I was like, no, this is fine. This will be fine. And as I got deeper into researching what a half iron man was, I didn't realize all the logistics involved. You need a wetsuit. You need a tri-suit. You need a bike. You need a spare tire. <laughs> right. I had to learn all of that in four months. Wow. So what, did you get swim lessons then to start? I, I researched trying to get swim lessons. So I went to the pool and the challenge with pools, what I found out is they're not open all the time for lap swim. And when they are, they're booked. And so that was a challenge in of itself, just getting into lap swim. But, you know, I just downloaded um, a training plan from the internet that was like easy training for Ironman that I could understand. And when I started the swimming portion of it, it was just short distances, like, you know, 200 yards there and back. And I couldn't swim freestyle. I couldn't swim freestyle at all, but there and back. So I really started getting anxious about being able to do this. And it's been one of, you know, a great accomplishment that I've done and how I've really taken how hard that was. And like, if you just continue to follow the plan, every single day you can do it it's just consistency every little day just keep training keep swimming keep bike riding keep doing it and what i realized at the time is was like i was looking at the end goal like oh my gosh i have to swim at one point never i won't do that no like don't think about that just think about completing this small step first because it will get you to that long-term goal 
And that's how I've taken that thought process into work. Like, don't get so overwhelmed with that massive end goal. Just keep consistently doing what you do every day and it will get you to that long-term goal. Your sales team must hate you because you're, you probably, your quotas are probably crazy. <laughs> and then you say, well, look, I can be, I just did a, you know, I, I didn't even know how to swim. And in four months I did a, you know, 70.3, you know, half Ironman. <laughs> Yeah, they probably think I'm a broken record because my man, like the words I live by is consistency. You know, it, it is just doing those things every single day. And in our sales world, as you know, it's a long, complex sales cycle. So you can get away with not doing something, you know, a day here, a day there, because when you're looking at your pipeline, it doesn't change a lot. So you can say, you know, I'm, I don't have to do something today and it's not going to change and that's okay. I can get away with it. But it's like when six months pass, seven months pass, that's when you're going to notice a difference. And so it's just being diligent and sticking to that routine. And I go back to the 75 hard, like here are my set tasks. If you follow them every single day, at the end of the 75 days, you will reach a goal, you know, of betterment yourself and in your routine and your thought process, if you just follow those every day. And so I take the same theory into work and, and sales. If you have these goals every day, and they can be small goals, like make five calls, make five outreaches, you know, clean up your sales force, have those goals every day, and you will be astonished by the end of 75 days, there's no way you wouldn't have made any progress. Every salesperson loves the client pitch, the you know, post client pitch. I mean, that's the fun stuff, right? It's mm -hmm. almost like that's the, you know, Creighton versus Nebraska soccer yeah. game, right? I mean, that's yeah. fun, right? It's the performance. The prospecting is hard. And I think maybe you would agree that like, that's where most salespeople struggle. So what you're talking about is setting activities. Yes. That you control can't control the sale. But what, what what else are you, in terms of your prospecting thoughts to help you, you know, your sales teams kind of get mm -hmm. through the, I'll say the mundane part of sales, right? One, it comes back to the comment I made before is I feel very passionately about what we provide our clients at Salelytics and that I approach it more as a consulting perspective that I'm here to provide insights, guidance, on where it can help their business. So for me, I absolutely love the prospecting stages of it because I, my customers are across a variety of industries and healthcare specific, it's pharma, it's med device, it's capital equipment, but even outside of that, it's telecom, logistics. So I start researching these different organizations, their company, what's their value proposition? Who are their customers? How can our services support them to drive revenue? And then the goal is ultimately to get them to, to have a call with me. And I love that research phase of it and trying to connect the dots and reaching out and, and getting them to want to hear more. And some people will clearly say no or, or take me off your list sure. and, and that's okay. Um, I still will take that as a win, you know, that somebody's out there listening. But when somebody does respond back, it's such a high and that high will get you to keep doing it and keep reaching out and sharing what we do. Yeah, do you think the way you use LinkedIn has helped you in your prospecting? 
I don't know that answer. I, I've tried LinkedIn as a means to reach out and to schedule connections and calls. And I, ha I haven't found that it's as valuable as, as an email or phone call outreach. Now, maybe the value once I've made that outreach and we've made the connection and they can, it really makes, uh, humanizes me maybe to them. But as far as the outreach and scheduling meetings through LinkedIn, I haven't found it as great of a tool. I can see that because I think about LinkedIn and I, I love the platform that, you know, to be able to share things, mm -hmm. uh, like you, uh, including this podcast, but you know, what I think is, you know, if you're working at, you're working at XYZ company, you're probably not on LinkedIn a lot for the yeah. most part, unless you're responsible for that XYZ company's presence on LinkedIn. So most people are, you know, heads down working on their job and, you know, you know, creating strategies, implementing strategies, whatever the job is, where, you know, like business development people <laughs> and sales, you know, professionals are on LinkedIn trying to do reach outs. So it's, they're just not on LinkedIn, uh, I think. So yes, I, I, I agree with you. I think once you make the connection through email, phone or whatever, and then you become connected on LinkedIn, it's more of a place where people can see, you know, what your presence is about. And, you know, you're not trying to sell anybody anything with your content. You're just saying, hey, this is how I do it in terms of, you know, life <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, how I approach things. And, you know, and, you know, you're really helping people, I think, uh, see that, hey, you can have a successful career. You can be a successful parent and you can do things that challenge you like heart 75 times yeah. two or yes. doing a 70.3 uh you know uh, mile uh iron man so um yeah i just love it i love what you're doing so oh well thank you because yeah. I, i'm very intentional about who i follow and my friends and my mentors and what books i read and there's little bits of information that i pull out that i find that have been helpful for me and so being able to do the same and, and share that. And hopefully there's something that other people can pull out and it'll help them to approach it differently or think about things in a different way to really either succeed in their career or have a good work-life balance. Um, it'd be great to share any of your books that kind of inspired you and helped you with your career, whether that be sales or mindset. What are some of the books you would recommend to our listeners? So one that I've recommended before is Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. It's one of my absolute favorites. I listen to his podcast every day. You know, it's just a short little snippet. So that's what I listen to on my, my walks. But then also David Goggins uh, is my absolute favorite because it shows you what your mind truly capable is capable of and how you can push the limits. Ben Bergeron's Chasing Excellence is also a really good book. And then if you CrossFit, there's a lot of um, stories in there that are I found really interesting. So those are a few of my favorites. Yeah, no, it's great. I read The Daily Stoic every day since uh, December, I think it was 17th, uh, 2017. So. Oh, really? Uh, and uh, if you haven't got his book, his brand new book, uh, The Daily Dad, um, it's the same concept, but it's about raising kids. And it's not just for dads, 
even though that's the name, just because he's a dad of two boys. But it, um, this is going to be published after I give my uh, daughter and her husband this book for Christmas. But uh, so I'm not ruining the surprise. But I'm reading it right now before I give it to them. But and it applies to every you know grandparents or whatever. So uh, they're they're expecting in February. So. Oh, congratulations. That's yeah. a great gift idea. Yeah. So it's a, it, you'll like it a lot if you like the Daily Stoic. And I'm sure you're doing a lot of the things, but it's good daily reminders of, because there's no oh. greater, there's no greater uh, job, an important job as being a, a, a great parent because it's uh, important to raise uh, uh, resilient, uh, responsible adults. So um, mm-hmm. as, he called it in the book. Somebody said it's it's actually not raising kids; it's raising adults because that's mm-hmm. that's the goal. Uh, and I see you're a Ryan uh, Holiday fan because you just pulled out "Stillness is the Key." Yeah, I I haven't gotten to this one because other books have trumped it, and so I've started it and had to restart it a few times. So this is the next one on the the list. Hopefully, during this holiday break, I'll get to. Yeah, no, I love his. Uh, I love his. Uh, Ego's the enemy. Obstacles the way. Um, that one, um, yeah. So I've read the, the whole series, uh, and he's great. Disciplined is destiny. Yeah. So, um, well, Franny, uh, I'd love for you to uh, impart some wisdom on two sets of people um, that I like to help on this podcast with uh, leadership advice from uh, great people like yourself. One is a recent college graduate. So think back at your days at Creighton, and you're graduating. What advice would you give them as they embark on their professional career and get their first job out of college? Um, so two things. One is I'll go back to working hard, you know, and, and again, this probably goes against everyone's trying to say there's this, you know, you only live once the, the whole YOLO thing, but I really am a firm believer working extremely hard and grinding will get you success. Um, the other thing is there's a parable out there about the farmer and his horse that I think is just incredible that if you listen to that parable, it's really eye opening. So the whole basis is there is no good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And so when you think of your journey through life and different events that happen, there is no good or bad, you know, only your thinking makes it so. And you made the comment too during this podcast is you believe things happen for a reason. I'm that same way. And I have the privilege I can look back at those events and realize what at the time I thought was bad was not bad. And whether that's a relationship that ended or a job that you didn't get, um, it's not bad because it ultimately leads you to where you need to be. So try and have that framework that there is no you know good or bad, only your thinking makes it so. And, and just keep doing what you're doing. And hopefully that'll, you know, release some of that stress along that, you know, corporate professional journey that they're chasing. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I just, yeah, there's no good news or there's no bad news. It's just news, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the second group is uh, once you begin your career, um, most people are individual contributors. So then they get a promotion. They're now a leader, a manager, whatever the title is, and now are responsible for a group of people from an HR perspective. What leadership advice do you have for that group as they embark on their leadership journey? Well, I just look back at what was helpful for me and what stood out for me. And, you know, I go back to 
this is when I was younger, my brother, he was the manager at a car wash. And I just remember my brother telling me, you know, and he was in high school at the time, maybe just outside of high school, but he was like, I, I will always do what I ask of my employees. I will be in there cleaning cars with them doing exactly, I can't ask them to do anything I wouldn't do myself. So when I get into the professional world, you know, I look at one of my mentors, Phil Crone, he was the same way. When we met on a weekly basis, he would be like, what do you need me to do? What can I do for you? What? And he was always willing to jump in and do any dirty work, any cold calls that needed I needed help with. Again, he wouldn't ask me to do anything. He wouldn't do himself. So I approach it in the same light where I'm not going to ask anyone to do anything I want to do myself. And if there's anything I can do to help along the way or process, I am all in. And that's what I hope that they get from me is that I'm I'm truly there to support them and do anything I can that, you know, I wouldn't ask them to do something I want to do myself. Great advice. Love that. Also, uh, before we end the, our conversation today, I have to ask January 1st, uh, 2024 is happening here in about 10 days. Uh, is it hard 75 number three on the list or uh, what's the next challenge for you? Oh, you're, I, so I've been going back and forth, whether I do it for a third year. Um, I, I do have a few trips, work trips coming up in the new year that I was thinking, ah, do I want to have to do it again? Although I will say last year I did it and stuck through it with a girl's trip to Phoenix to celebrate our 40th birthday um, party. And so I managed to make it through a trip to Phoenix with my girlfriends, but wow. it's to be determined whether I do it again this year. We'll see. They probably abstained from drinking also during that trip that support you. <laughs> it almost helped me that they didn't because <laughs> I I got to be this, you know, the one to help them and yeah, you yeah. know the sober one during the trip. Yeah. Well, Franny, it's been so great to uh, catch up with you. I'm really grateful we met back in uh, I don't know, twenty eleven, I think. But uh yeah, thank you so much for being on the corporate couch today. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Good chatting with you. Joe, I'm not intimidated by many people, but after talking to Franny, I mean, and, you know, I've known her since, God, it was 2010 or 2011. Um, and as we talked about in the episode, but her mental toughness is just incredible. Oh, I, I don't oh, know, man. just her approach to life. I am not familiar with the Enneagram assessment. I guess it measures core motivation. And she's a one, and I looked that up, and it says they like to do things the right way according to their very high standards, and they work hard to avoid making mistakes. You know, so that was part of it. And she's just, you know, when she was talking about sales prospecting, and most salespeople don't like it. You know, it's like athletes, you know, you love playing the game, but the practice and the, working out on your own, the lifting, sprints, all that, most people don't like, but she loves the prospecting, the researching to become more knowledgeable on the prospect for that initial call. So she's yeah. just, I mean, it's just all about consistency with her mental toughness. You know, she won the hardest worker award. I mean, in high school, she was getting up in the summer at 5 a.m. to go running to help her soccer. I mean, like 5 a.m. in high school, it's, yeah, it's I was sleeping. really unheard of. I was sleeping, well, or either sleeping or delivering newspapers, but yeah. There you go. 
and and uh, she treats uh, she treats practices if it's a game. So, in in other words, she never turns off. You know, right. she never she's always going toward toward whatever goal it is. Uh, it's amazing. Just like Robert Saylor, the New York Jets coach, says she's all gas, no break. All gas, no break. <laughs> That's pretty good. What did you think about? The yeah, I I was just absolutely amazed. I couldn't couldn't get over it, and it, and it just as the interview progressed, it is sort of like all the physical stuff just kept piling on, piling on. So I, you know, I first of all know she's in sales. Okay, she's in sales, and then she's like six feet tall in in uh, heels, and plays soccer, and uh, she originally wanted to be a copper in the in the FBI, and. Um, voted hardest worker and then she finds out about this thing called an iron man and doesn't know a thing in the world about an iron man and somebody says well if you haven't yet done a triathlon don't try an iron man and and what does she do it's it's kind of the equivalent of hold my beer <laughs> you know like the if you if you want her to do something just tell her that she shouldn't do it and she's going to be doing it so she goes out and buys a bicycle and then learns how to swim <laughs> because yeah could not swim could not even swim and she's going to do this ironman and and did it and the swim is 1.2 miles i i it, i i i don't even have a brain capacity to understand how how all that works so absolutely an incredible woman just uh, shows the caliber of the uh of the interviewees that um our listeners can expect here on the corporate couch. Joe, I want you to impart some leadership advice for our audience. I, I usually don't get in your way, but we really haven't heard from Stephen Wright in a long time. Maybe tell us a little you Stephen want, Wright. Wisdom. You want some wisdom from the great philosopher named Stephen Wright. I've got a great one for you. One time that he said, I almost had a psychic girlfriend, but she left me before we met. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.